Just a little friendly reminder out there to all you listeners, make sure to subscribe to the National Land Realty Podcast. No matter what platform you use, there is a subscribe button. Make sure to click that. That's how we measure our success and measure the value that we bring to the table. Welcome to episode number 66 for the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be the host for this episode. We are well into duck hunting season around the United States right now, and each season starts conversations about purchasing land for the purpose of hunting. Josh Pelletier happens to be a land improvement specialist with a knack for developing duck hunting properties. You may not be on the market for a full-on duck impoundment, but that doesn't mean that duck hunting is out of reach. Josh is here today to discuss some tips for those of you who are serious about your search for duck hunting specific properties. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with Josh Pelletier and Josh, you're an expert in ducks. Jump into that, but first, <laughs> how you got into National Land Realty? Oh man, um, it's it's a, it's a pretty cool story. Um, you know, right out of college, I go a little bit uh, back a little bit. I'm from Eastern North Carolina, born and raised. I uh, went to school to be a marine biologist. Um, always loved animals and fish and birds and and everything else, and. Um, quickly realized that marine biology wasn't for me. Um, thanks to a good counselor in college that said, Hey, you may want to pick a different path if you ever want to make any money. Um, <laughs> so I studied environment, environmental science. Um, and my dream was to actually go to Mississippi state for waterfowl biology is something that I've always been, um, passionate about. Um, I got the opportunity to, um, go work for, um, the federal government as a project manager doing beach and inlet dredging projects. So um, my full-time career took me that way. Um, but I never lost the passion for habitat management, ducks, waterfowl, um, kind of the biology based, you know, you want to know, you know, what you're targeting, why they do what they do, um, why they do it, where they do it. Um, you know, just as much as you can learn about what you're going after, where it be deer, ducks, turkeys, um, you learn your opponent. So, um, that, that's what I did on the side. Um, even though, you know, my career took me one way, my passion still stayed in line. Um, and the local guy here kept calling me and asking me for advice. He had agents or you know clients that were like, Hey, I want a duck property. I want this, I want that. And he would just keep calling me and asking me for advice. And I love giving it. Um, so he was like, Hey man, will not you just get your real estate license and you kind of pick and choose what you're involved in. Um, cause you've got kids and a wife and another career. And that's kind of how I got roped into that. I've loved every second of it. Met some great people um, along the way. We've got a great team here in Eastern North Carolina. And, you know, every every week, every day talking with them, I get to talk ducks and waterfowl and habitat. So um, I'm enjoying every second of it. And you're talking, so so you were recruited by Aaron Sutton then? I was. Yeah, I was his first hire. Yeah. You were his first hire. Okay. And and that's for anybody yeah. listening. Aaron Sutton has been on the show a couple of times now. Uh, he's, he's done episodes with me and, and we actually awarded him for having the best office culture in our company. Uh, so it speaks highly that you were his first recruit. He came, he came to find you. 
Yeah, yeah, he uh, he uh, he stalked me. He stalked me on Facebook for a couple of years before I finally gave in. Is that what he did? He stalked you on social media. <laughs> no, we grew. We kind of grew up around each other, played ball against each other, so we we've known each other a long time. Aaron's about as good as they come. That is, there's there's truth in that. So you went through you you started out doing um you know you started out working in environmental science in college did that for a bit and then got recruited in to do real estate so did you do a full time or was it just kind of a part time thing at first and then moved into full time yeah. no i I've, i'm still very part time in the in the real estate um you know like i said my my full time career is is very fulfilling and satisfying but i do enjoy the real estate side and doing it part-time with Aaron and his crowd because, you know, kind of like a lot of folks that are probably listening to this podcast, you know, I've got my sessions are outdoors, um, hunting and fishing and, and getting outside and, and real estate. And what brings with that is a really good way to talk about it, see a bunch of property, make a little money on the side to, to fund that passion. Um, so the wife doesn't give you a stink eye when you tell her if you're going on a trip here and there. Um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I, I, I love every second of it. So tell me about your daily a little bit, like, cause you're working in, you know, with your background in environmental science, tell me about, you know, your, your, the day job, the, the thing that you're doing on day in and day out. Um, it's a lot of beach nourishment, uh, inlet dredging stuff here on the coast of North Carolina. We've got a lot of shoreline. Um, so we make sure that the inlets are safe and navigable. Um, through federal coordination with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife and National Marine Fishery Service and stuff like that. And I've been at it for 20 years, man, and I absolutely love it. Um, same thing, I get to be outside, get to meet a bunch of people. Um, that seems to be a, a theme and in, in what I like to do and how I like to do it. And um, work with National Land just, just falls right into that. I was going to say, because what you are doing as as just your your day-to-day career is – right in line with what you do with national lands it, and but it's, it's from different angles right like you're going in and rehabilitating and assessing and improving areas in north carolina and specifically waterways is what it sounds like and then you move over and you've been sort of I, i'm going to say you've been kind of specializing in in duck centric properties right areas for duck hunting stuff like that and and you know granted you're going to work with whatever real estate you get but that's been sort of your passion as far as working with that so you're involved in waterways and waterfowl on pretty much every part of your life outside of your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my wife jokes around all the time when I say, you know, today's the last day of hunting season or, you know, it's over after today. She's like, it's never over. Um, and, and she's right. You know, as soon as one season ends, you know, we're, we're doing stuff ready for the next season. So, um, it is very much a part of my life, a part of my family's life. And, you know, the group of guys that I do it here with, I'm lucky to be surrounded by some guys that have the same passions and, um, you know, we, we have, we have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's dive in a little bit. So as far as your licensing with national land realty, you've been licensed for how long? Uh, right at six years. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's not like this is a new thing. You've been at this for a bit you know, almost half your career. Right. So when, when you're going into real estate, you know, are, do you work primarily with duck hunting properties or is this sort of, uh, is that something you're targeting on a regular basis? Um, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, I would, I would say primarily, 
um, duck hunting properties. I'm very, very blessed to be able to not have to um, get out and pursue, um, you know, real estate as a full time deal. Some people are very good at it. Um, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a very good salesman at all. Um, but I can pick and choose the projects that I'm involved in or the projects I'm passionate in. And I tell folks all the time that Aaron and I work with, I'm like, I'm not going to sell you or try to push you on anything that I wouldn't pour my heart and soul in if, if I owned it. Um, I'm not going to sell you something that it's just a, Hey, you know, you're just another line item on my numbers at the end of the year. Like, cause I know what it takes to develop a property and to pour your heart and soul in one. And I, if, if I were writing a check, this is what I would buy or this is what I would not buy. And I, I tell people that all the time. So um, yes, it's not a commission based or a numbers based thing for me. It's a, you're, you're trusting me to help you find your dream. And if I don't believe in it as much as you believe in it, I'm going to tell you that. Um, and then we'll find one that, that both of us believe in it and go from there. And it's, it's extremely fun. It's extremely satisfying. Some of the searches take two weeks. Some of them take two years. Um, but, you know, working with folks and knowing their end goal, um, it is fun. And, and when we're talking about, you know, we're talking about duck hunting properties or properties that are good for duck hunting. What, what makes that different from a duck impoundment as opposed to just properties for duck hunting? Yeah. So there, there's a, there's a bunch to, to unwrap there, you know, in, in Eastern North Carolina and along, you know, Mississippi flyways all over, all across the, the, um, the country, there are duck clubs that are, you know, managed corn impoundments or managed moist soil impoundments. Um, and stuff like that. They are the more high end properties. Um, and don't get me wrong, the folks that manage them are, they're some of the best of the best because there's a science to all of it. Whether you're hunting a beaver pond, whether you're hunting a, a duck impoundment, a flooded cornfield, a flooded rice field down in Arkansas, I mean, there, there's a science to all of it. Um, you know, you get people on all sides of the fence that are going to bash the other side just because it's not the, the way to do it. Um, the way I look at it is the more habitat across the landscape, the better, whether it's a flooded cornfield or um, a beaver swamp or something like that. Um, what I try to do is find folks that, you know, want to put some sweat equity into a property. There are a lot of properties that get overlooked that, you know, are in great flyways or have, you know, little creeks in them or little you know bottom farm fields that can be turned into something pretty special. Um, there are folks that look for turnkey properties. You know, there's, duck impoundments that are proven um they're going to be your higher end properties but what i like to do is take folks that you know we manage expectations say we've got a we've got a great property on a great river flyway that you could really turn into something special um you know everybody has their own goals and dreams um you know you work with some folks so you have to manage expectations say hey if you want a place where you can go shoot a duck every day with your grandson or your son this is it and you can shoot two ducks a day and be just as happy as the guy that's 50 miles away that's in a multi-million dollar duck club that's shooting, you know, 24 ducks. Um, and it's, it's all a matter of, of what your definition of success is. Um, you know, some have big dreams and aspirations and some, you know, kind of, kind of like me when I think there's a majority is, you know, you just want somewhere you can call yours where you can put your feet on the ground and, and pursue your passion, whether it's not pulling the trigger or shooting a five man limit of ducks. Um, you know, you walk out of there with the, with the pride knowing that it's yours and, and, you know, the ducks may win one day and you may win the next. Um, 
So there, there's a lot of these properties around that can be something special that I like trying to put together with folks. Um, it may not be a three-year plan. It may be a five-year plan or a 15-year plan, but you know, with the right knowledge and the right tools and in the right location, um, you know, you can turn into something special. And that's kind of what I, what my passion is, is helping folks find that, you know, kind of middle ground where, Hey, we can get in this property for a pretty good deal. And I can work with my friends and my family. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's mine. And I, I've worked every inch of it to maximize its potential and, and enjoy it for, for generations. Yeah. And it's, uh, if I'm, and if I'm hearing you right on that, when, when we're talking like, a duck hunting property versus a set duck empowerment. It's sort of the same difference as a rec tract for hunting versus picking up a property with a hunting lodge on it. It's, it, you know, you've got, you've got your designated lodge and a place to stay and it's kind of a higher end swanky place to, to set up in, which is great, right? Like everyone picks their own thing and, and there's no right way to do it. There's, there's certain people like certain accommodations. And so when you look at a duck impoundment versus say just a property where like you're talking about, there's a good Creek running through it and you could set up a pond that runs off of that or some, something to that level where, you know, it's just a difference of, of scale. It's, it's just, you know, either you're kind of bootstrapping it or you've got a nice luxury setup. There. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, there's, you know, there's a plethora of really great duck clubs that are like that. And there's a lot of really small pieces of property that, you know, when folks bought them, didn't have the first drop of water on them and, you know, have made it into something that can can hold water and hold ducks and, and be really special. So there is a wide variety of different what we call duck hunting properties here in eastern North Carolina. Um, I know some guys that, that manage old sand pits that, you know, they've been dug for commercially mined for sand and you know they've been reclaimed as, as a pond and you manage that the right way you can have some fantastic duck hunting and something to just to the average joe riding by looks like a, a sand pit and a place to catch a bass or a brim but can be fantastic duck hunting property so um i think that's what a lot of people don't realize whenever they you know they they start the search is you know whether it be you know whitetails or turkeys or ducks or whatever um I just encourage everybody to find the experts in that field that have learned the hard way. Um, you know, I've been at this duck hunting property management thing for the better part of 20 to 25 years now. Um, you know, starting back at an old family farm to, to a group of guys I do it with now. And we have taken a lot of lumps on the head about what not to do with a property. Um, so if you can find those guys that can say, Hey, we've, we've tried this for years and it didn't work. I think you need to go this You're you're years ahead of the game already by just finding somebody and talking to them about what does and doesn't work. You know, and that's, you bring up a really great point with that. And, and it's a conversation point that just happens day in and day out with anybody who works in real estate and especially in, in, in the whole land, you know, land, I'm going to say land real estate, like what we work in. And right now with a limited, you know, the inventory market has has dropped in the last year and a half. And so the conversation starts going to commissions and stuff. And it's like, what are you paying for when you work with a real estate agent agent? And when you're talking with land, there's so many variables that you can mess up. And, And it's, you know, the, the, the commission that people work with the fee, it's not necessarily the transaction itself. It's the experience that the person has acquired through, like you said, 25 years of working with these properties 
you're you're making sure you don't make the mistakes that say you Josh made 20 years ago and you've already figured out how to get past you get somebody a 20 year leap in in learning right out of the gate where they can be off and running and skip all the trials and errors that people normally go through is is that something that you you end up explaining a lot i i, I want to steer this back to sort of your experience here is is that something that you end up explaining a lot like okay i'm i'm going to get you past all the learning curves that you're going to about to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the first thing I meet with guys and they say, Hey, you know, if I, I want a really good property, I want to manage for whitetails. You know, we've got a really good team here. I'm, I'm not a deer guy, but I'll put you in touch with a guy on our team that is a deer guy. And he's going to set you up and tell you exactly what he's learned and what he's failed at and what he succeeded at. And, and that's kind of the experience you're getting. And when it comes to ducks and says, Hey, I, I want a property that's just fantastic. And, you know, I've seen these five on the internet and all of them say, you know, best duck hunting property in the own in Eastern North Carolina or loaded with ducks. And I've been around enough to know and say, man, this, no, <laughs> don't believe everything you read on the internet. Um, or, or on a listing because, you know, it, it might share a property line with somebody else and you can manage your property to a T, but you can't manage your neighbors. So let's move on to the next one. Or, you know, hey, th this this water source is, is, is only available once every three years and we're above normal rainfall. So you can manage, you can have the best crop in the world. If you can't get water, then you're, you're, you're not a very good duck hunter if you don't have water. Um, not here anyway. So, you know, it's, it's kind of exactly what you said. You know, we're we've taken a lot of failures over the years on, on what not to do. And if I can start in the first conversation working with you and tell you what not to do, you know, we say, we saved you 20 years of trial and error. Um, and because, you know, in, in this day and age, everybody wants quick results. Um, and sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but the quicker we can get you to where you want to be, that's, that's our goal. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into the, some of the specifics here. Uh, and, 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 there's there is science to it but a lot of it has to do with your experience right like it's it, everything looks great on paper until you get in and put your feet on the ground so so let's take some generalities and some of your experience and and apply them here uh when you're talking if, if you've got somebody who is looking for or if, if they're looking to buy a duck hunting property or if they have a, pro a property that they think is suitable and they want to sell it, what kind of acreage do you want to have? Let, and let's put it at a minimum. Cause obviously if you have like 10,000 acres, you're pretty well set if you got some water on it. But if you're, if you're just talking like we'll, we'll go from the minimum, cause you can always get bigger. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all location dependent. Um, here, there's a lot of um, public hunting ground in North Carolina, a lot of, um, you know, riverbank, sound frontage, stuff like that, where, you know, if you want to go shoot diver ducks on the sound and you on the shoreline, you know, you can, you can put a blind up and hunt and you only need a hundred, hundred foot wide strip running to the sound. Um, the problem with that is there might be a guy a hundred foot on either side of you the same day, um, kind of taking away the experience. Uh, so, you know, there's folks that are getting away from the coastal hunting and into you know, more of the swamp hunting or the, or the moist soil type stuff that, that we try to specialize in. Um, it, you know, a, a 10 acre spot's great, a 20 acre spot's better and, and moving on up. Um, the thing I try to say that I've kind of already touched on 
is is if you own 360 degrees around your water source or both sides or whatever, you you are way ahead of the game. Um, just just how property lines were drawn back in the day, you know, a lot of properties are you know the middle of this canal or the middle of this ditch. Um, and if your your property lines the middle of the ditch and the beaver's got a 20 acre beaver pond on it, you only own half of it. Uh, somebody else owns the other half, and they're shooting at the same ducks you're shooting at. Um, so it's all very location specific. Um, you know, we we have run into some some seven acre beaver ponds. The guys own all of it, and we come in there and say, "Hey, th- these are the really good plant species that you have. These are the really bad ones that you don't want." Um, in the summer, when this thing draws down and it gets 80, 90 degrees at night. Um, you know, that's when your grasses are going to grow and that's when you need to, you know, kind of kill off your broad leaves and, and manage for what you have there. And we have improved some properties tremendously just by kind of, you know, letting nature take its course and helping it along the way. Um, a lot in Eastern North Carolina, people are dealing with beaver swamps. Um, beavers are, are, you know, farmers hate them. Duck hunters love them. Um, so, you know, we've kind of gotten to manage that. Um, we, we've come up with some ways to, you know, government programs and different designs that are out there, ways to manage water levels in beaver swamps, um, you know, through, uh, you know, popping a pipe in, you know, by shoveling a hand, um, you know, and putting a uh, clips and leveler type thing on them where you can, you know, draw the water down in the summer when you need and, and manage for the good, the good grasses and bring it back up in the winter. Um, it, it's easy to say, but it's, but it's hard to do. It takes a lot of sweat. A lot of fighting mosquitoes, a lot of fighting snakes in the summertime. Um, you know, the, the guys that I know here are really good at it. Um, habitat managers, we, we, you know, we joke all the time, you know, your, your duck limits are made in June, July, and August. Um, it, you don't go out there in November and December and just have success. Um, so you, you start in the summer and, and, you know, get you a plan together and work through it. So when you're looking at a, at a duck hunting property, are, are you take me through what you examine? Are you looking at the structure of the property first, the plant life? Do you look at access points or, I, and I realize all this stuff kind of plays into each other holistically, but when you first go in, what sort of do you, or do you have a checklist that you go through? Like, okay, it doesn't have this. So I don't even move to the next step because it doesn't have this. Yeah, you, you, you hit the, the nail right on the head. You know, a, a buddy of mine and I, um, we had a habitat consulting business for a long time. Um, you know, and there was two or three of us that would, you know, we'd, we'd meet guys on site or they say, hey, this is our form. And that's the first thing we'd say, say hey, send us a map. Um, we'd look at what they had, um, what they could have. Um, but the first thing we looked at was the location. Uh, you could build the best duck hunting property in the world if it doesn't have, you know, a flyway or, you know, a river system or, you know, large bodies of water that the ducks can roost off of and find some rest. Then, you know, we have told guys, say, man, your property is fantastic, but we don't think it's a great duck hunting property for, for A, B, and C. Um, if it does have those things that we think can be turned into something special, we'll actually meet the guy in there and we'll, we'll walk or ride every inch of it to say, Hey, you know, you've got electricity to this point, we can put a well and a pump here and, you know, dike off this little wet field that the farmer can't farm anyway uh every other year because it's so wet um and let nature help you know we can put some water in there for three months out of the year um with the right crops or with the right grasses and, and you can choose some ducks in here now um, we'll look at soil types we'll look at the vegetation that it's holding um some people might just have a, a great 
a great swamp or a great property or, and, you know, you go in there and you selectively take out some trees uh, to let the sunlight, you know, hit, hit the forest floor, grows great grasses and, you know, the, the natural Creek or the natural river floods, you know, later on in the year and you've got a great property. And the only thing you've done is spend about 30 minutes on the end of a chainsaw. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that you can maximize a property, but you can't, you can't tell that by just looking at a map. You can, you can check off the big things looking at a map, but you know, we'll, we'll just get out of the truck and start walking and talking to the landowners about, Hey, you know, wh what's your dream here? What do you see? Do you want, you know, five and six man limits coming out of here? Or, you know, are you just looking for a place to, you know, to grab your dad and somewhere easy for him to get down here so you guys can enjoy some special mornings together, no matter what you shoot? Um, everybody's got something different of what their dream looks like. So we just try to talk to them and say, hey, let us help you get there. Um, if you can't get there, we'll tell you. Um, we're not going to let you spend a whole bunch of money on improvements for this and that. Um, it's something that we don't believe in. So once we get all on the same page, it can be pretty fun. So when you're talking flyways, is that an established route system or is it just something that you know through experience? Um, a, a little bit of both. Um, I think traditionally, like I said, just speaking in, in terms of eastern North Carolina, your, your bigger river systems, um, especially in the eastern part of the state, we don't have the topography that some states have. So our, our river systems are usually the main river and then you know, it could be as much as three or 400 yards of, of swamp bottom on each side. Those areas tend to hold ducks, um, ducks flopping down those river systems, looking for new food sources all the time. So if you're in proximity to a fly, a Creek, I mean, we, there's, there's, there's some creeks off our main river systems that we've seen ducks that would rival anywhere I've been in all my travels in, in, in the right years in North Carolina. So, you know, that's what we try to look for, you know, flyways with creeks and, and rivers and I mean some big lakes in North Carolina that hold um, a lot of ducks so that that's the first box that we check do you have a place where you can pull ducks from um, some old sand pits roost a lot of ducks um, marshes sounds rivers um, so that that's what we mean when we talk flyway gotcha and and you mentioned you know letting grasses grow what other what what's the kind of plant life that you key in on? Like, okay, this is good. What's what? Or I guess you know, what, another question would be, what do you not want? <laughs> yeah, uh, the 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 rule, like I said, there's a there's a hundred different kind of plant species that can in the swamp. The rule I try to tell everybody is that most of the time here, and at least mine, it was if it's got a broadleaf on it, it uh, you know, it might be good for some thermal cover for a duck, but it's not going to be of any nutritional value. So we want, you know, your barnyard grasses, your wild millets, your smart weeds um, and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the more native and natural the seed, the harder the seed is going to be. It's going to last you through the years. Um, your some of your commercial seeds, you know, when we first started out, we thought every swamp had to be drained and millet had to be planted. So we would buy a commercial millet and put it in there and, you know, a commercial grade seed is only good for 30 to 45 days when you're talking millet. Once it gets wet, then it rots and the ducks, nobody wants to eat anything rotten. Um, so we started managing for the, the harder seeds, um, you know, the, your smart weeds and your barnyard grasses and your wild millets. Um, granted, if you can find an oak bottom here, which is hard to come by in my neck of the woods, you know, obviously acres are, are key. Um, so that's what we try to manage for the grasses that'll pop up in the late summer. 
you know, by slow draw down, you draw the water down really slow. When you start getting those really hot, humid nights, it really promotes that grass growth. And so that, that, that's something that we, that we try to key in on. Um, and it, and it's really surprising, you know, you can take some somewhere, um, one of my good buddies has got a, has got a farm that, that we kind of play around with. And, um, it had water on it for about seven years and an old kind of a mill pond setting. And, and we punched a hole in the, in the clogged up beaver pipe and let it drain. And the, the first summer that, you know, there was smart weed and barnyard grass and nut sedge and everything else, everything that we could ever dream of, um, popped out of that soil. So the soil's in the, in the seed bank. It's just, you know, find somebody that can help you manage it and, and get the best of what you got. Yeah. So on, on that level, if, if you were, and, and again, this is generalities, right? Because every property is different. And if that's the answer, great. But are there some general things to where these are the most beneficial things you can do out of the gate? And then giving it context, let's take it from, you know, if somebody has a duck set up, they, they're already doing the things, right? But let's take somebody who has maybe a water source, uh, a way to get water or a pond, and, but they've never done anything with it in regards to duck hunting. What are some of the quickest and most beneficial things that they can do to, to improve it? Sure. Um, you know, if you, if you got somewhere that, you know, you know, you've seen a couple of ducks in the past and you think it could be better. Um, you know, what, what we try to, you know, high level view on our end to folks is that slow drawdown in late summer. When you get nights here that are, you know, 70, close to 80 degrees, um, if you can draw that water, the water level is going to going to go down anyway from evaporation at night and trees are drinking. Um, and, and that's really what drives this train. Ducks for thousands and thousands of years have been coming to seasonally flooded wetlands that are dry in the summer and have water in the winter. Um, if we can mimic that, if you can draw your pond down to to create that edge where you can you know, promote that smart weed or promote that barnyard grass or even get some millet growing in there. Um, that that's the best way to, to, you know, put some duck food out there. The second biggest thing I tell people is you can have the greatest duck hunting property in the world, but if you put too much pressure on the ducks, they're going to leave. Um, you know, we, we tell folks all the time, like if you're in a restaurant and every five minutes, somebody comes in and banging and shouting and this and that, you're probably not gonna go back to your restaurant. So, you know, the ducks need to get in there. They need to be they're comfortable. They need to eat. Um, they need to rest. You don't go down there and, and drive a truck just to look at them because they'll jump. They'll find somewhere else to go where they're not getting messed with. Um, you know, a lot of times here you'll talk to folks and they say, man, I was I poked my head in my place yesterday and I, I ran up 150 miles and went back and hunted this morning and only 20 came back. Yeah, the under, other 130, they found somewhere else where they weren't getting jumped. Um, so it's kind of like with anything else, a, a big deer or, or, you know, the, the, if you can stay out of there and just go in there when you hunt, you're going to have more success than, you know, riding in there and you want to see what your crop looks like. You want to see what the water looks like and you're jumping 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 ducks out every time you go. Um, that's something that you can control really easily. And it's really easy to control the food. It's easy to control the water. It's easy to control the pressure can't control the weather and you can't control the ducks so if you can control what you can control um which are those three things the food the pressure and the water um you know everything else is kind of you know this icing on the cake yeah yeah so when, when you're looking at a property like this and and i 
I'll talk about it when we're talking about deer hunting stands and stuff like that. You want to take into account shooting lanes and stuff like that. Is that something that you look at with duck hunting properties? Like, are you considering where the steel falls? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we advise folks all the time. It's like, Hey, you, you've got a, a fantastic beaver pond here or, you know, this edge of the Creek that you can hunt, you know, you need to put the blind here because the sun's going to be in your face here. And if, if the sun's in your face and you can't see the ducks and your face is shining, you know, you're, you're at a disadvantage already. We know the predominant winds come from the North Northwest, you know, here in the, in the winter time. So, you know, you want to have your back to the wind most of the time. So, um, you know, we, we try to think about it as if it was ours and we were going to go in hunting, um, which way we would want to face, which way that we think the wind's going to come from most of the time, which way the ducks are probably going to come from to, you know, when you get that morning, when everything lines up and the ducks and the geese are coming into, you know, something you've worked all summer on, the last thing you want to be is in the wrong spot. So, um, we even have some folks that are like, Hey, where do we want to build a blind? I'm like, Hey, when we just closed on this property three months ago, we've got it looking great. Why don't you hunt it a year before you put anything permanent in here? See what end of this pond the ducks like, see how they like to work. And then we can go to a more permanent, you know, blind or something like that. Cause the ducks are just like we are. They've got preferences no matter where they hang out or where they use, they're going to work a certain way or they're going to like this end because the water level is a little different or the cover is a little different. Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot to think about, but we try to think about it as if it was ours. And, you know, if we had all the ducks in the world, where'd be the, the best place to, you know, to shoot your limit, you know, sun at your back, wind at your back. Uh, some places are really good on nasty low cover days. Some places are good on, you know, a light 15 mile an hour wind and, and the sun shining. So, um, like I said, I hate the answer that it all depends, but, uh, we try to think about it from all angles, depending on where we are. Um, and it, and it buys the folks the best we can. No, that's fantastic. Cause actually I was thinking on a completely different level on that. Cause I was thinking, you know, like where, where, you know, where your shot travels, where, how far do you need as far as placement and stuff like that. But, but as you're explaining it, you, you want to be able to have better visibility. So you want the sun at your back. You, you don't want, you know, wind to impact. You want a crosswind or, or, or just different little things like that 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 i would station here because it gets better shot placement and so it's on a completely you just dropped like six points of knowledge that i wasn't even thinking of <laughs> question so that, that was perfect and then as far as uh, you know informationally um when when you go into this is it and you're working with somebody to, to find a, you know a duck property or you work with somebody on selling it do you try to improve it before you sell it or, or do you just kind of work with the owner, uh, however they want to work with it? Just do you try to maximize it as something to, to be able to market it? Yeah, there are some little things that you can do, um, you know, that would you know, catch the eye if we were to put it on a listing or um, improve the price a little bit, whether it may be, Hey, you know, you can um, put a whale in and a pump, you know, for your, for your water source versus, you know, pumping out of the, the local canal with a, with a tractor. Um, you know, you, we can build a really nice duck blind, you know, sometimes that catches the eye, you know, um, you know, it's just like all of, all of the other agents know you've got a, a wide range of, of buyers out there. You want some folks that won't turn key that the day they close, they want to be able to just put on their jacket, walk to the duck blind and be able to hunt. You want some folks that, 
they would rather not see that because they want, they want to build their own blind and they want to, you know, they want to work at it themselves because that's, you know, sometimes to them, that's half the fun. Um, so it all depends on, you know, if we're looking at a, at a really premier duck property, you know, we would try to do the things that would appeal to folks that kind of want the turnkey, you know, the brush blind, the nice ditch crossovers, um, you know, the well and the pump and decoy hangers on the backs of the blind, stuff like that, versus, you know, somewhere 50 miles inland where, you know, you've got deer and turkeys and ducks, you know, you, you might put a nice deer stand up or something like that. So, you know, there are little things that you can do um, to the property to, to make it pop versus, you know, looking at, you know, 10 or 15 duck properties that are on the market at a time, you know, you know, cutting nice holes in your, in your timber, taking the undergrowth out of the timber to, you know, to really maximize your, your soil growth in there. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, we meet with some folks that, um, you know, want to sell their property because it really hasn't produced like they thought it would. And we would go in there and after, you know, meeting with them, they're like, well, dang, well maybe I could hold on to it and I could try this for the next three to five years. And we kind of leave the meeting like, did we really just help ourselves or, um, but you know, it, it, it's fun on, on, on both sides of that, whether somebody, you know, wants to a newly acquired property or somebody that's had one for 10 years and they, we just, we just shed a little light on it, what, you know, they may could do to improve their experience. So um, either way you come out with a win. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you take, if you take on sort of how you function, especially in land, that it's more of a consultancy role, right? And and sometimes it doesn't work into doing business, but you have consulted somebody and, and it becomes a referral or, or, or something like that. Sometimes helping people doesn't work out to your benefit, but it's a long game and it's, it's forming those relationships and it's providing knowledge on, on that kind of stuff. How often have you done that to yourself as far as advise somebody who wants to sell and then they end up not selling? More than, more than I care to admit, um, you know, but like, like I said, it, it, it is fun to, when you are in more of a consulting role, um, you know, you want folks to maximize what they have, um, whether they just got it or whether they've had it for, for, for 10 or 15 years. And I was, I was the world's worst, um, right out of college and the whole social media thing, um, came around, you know, I was that, you know, I, I wanted to see just how many ducks I could kill. Cause I'm better than the next guy. And, you know, this and that, and the older you get and the more mature you get with, you know, wife and kids and stuff like that, man, you just want to see everybody happy, whether it's going out there and shooting up two ducks or whether it's shooting 25 ducks. Um, if they're happy and it puts a smile on their face and they can call their buddy and talk about it on the way home or share that experience with their kids. Um, fantastic. Um, that, that's, that's why we're all here to let everybody enjoy, you know, their little slice of heaven, whether it's five acres or, or 500 acres. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, especially with land, um, it's probably easier in the residential, you know, role where you're just, you know, volume, volume wins. Um, the more houses you sell, uh, the, the better you are, but you know, there've been some years where, you know, we've sold a handful of properties and they meant the world to us versus years where we've sold dozens of properties. Um, you know, we still keep in touch with the, with the owners and they send pictures of ducks and their blinds and their deer and their stuff like that. So, um, it's not a, Hey, you know, here's the keys to your house. Good luck. Uh, it's a man, we, we, we're going to keep up with you for the, for the next year. And they'll call and say, Hey, we tried this this year. 
it worked great. You know, we're going to try this next year. Do you have any contacts for a seed guy or, you know, a tractor guy or a well guy? So um, the, the longer we do it, the, the broader our network becomes. And, you know, it, it's, it's, we're having a good time with it. Yeah, that's it's something really unique You know, with I, I can not probably think of many people that keep in contact with their home real estate agent after the sale. And and with with land agents like, right. oh, you're staying in contact for up to 20 years and going back to the property and giving them advice and trying to find somebody like you said, somebody who good, who's your seed guy, who's you know, who's going to help me with with well drilling and stuff like that, that you keep as a, as a Rolodex. That, that really dates me, doesn't it, when I say something like Rolodex. Um, but when you, when you have a list of contacts that you can deliver, it's a constant thing. You're staying in contact with people and you act as a consultant basically for the duration, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're not a, hey, here you go. Um, best of luck. We'll see you down the road. It's, hey, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to call you if, I, if, if we worked on something in the summer. Um, we're going to call you after the, the, the duck season and ask you how you did. Um, we're going to call you after the whole duck season and ask what you think worked and what you didn't think worked. Um, can we try something else? Um, so it's not let's the, you know, let's sign on the paper. And once we leave the attorney's office um, deal, I mean, good, good, bad, or indifferent, you're stuck with the, the Eastern NC uh, national land guy, whether you like it or not. Cause you know, we're invested in it. You know, if, if you told us to find you your dream and we found it, we want to know that we did our job. 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Um, you know, and a lot of times it helps is guys that have bought it, you know, a long time ago were coming back and say, Hey, you know, my priorities have changed or I want something a little bigger. You think we can sell this one and, and, you know, kind of morph our dream in this, in this, you know, the next step up. Um, and it is, it's, we're, we're enjoying every, every second of it. So I want to throw a curveball at you. What's the most interesting property you've ever worked Sure. Um, there, there've been a bunch. Um, yeah, so we sold one that's not too far from here. Um, the, the, the owners at the time, they just didn't go to the property a whole lot. Um, looking at it on a map, it was nothing special. It had a couple of swamp sloughs in it. Um, we rode in there a- after we got the listing and, you know, I called Aaron and I was like, man, this could be really something special with somebody that wants to you know, put the time and the work in it. It already had existing rows. The work to it was very, very minimal. Um, Aaron ended up finding some uh, folks that came down from another state that bought it as kind of a retreat. And, you know, in our consulting role, we said, hey, man, all you have to do is go in here and do X, Y, and Z. And we think it could be really something special. And, man, every year we get pictures of straps of ducks and big deer and, and turkeys and all this stuff. And I think it was after the second or third season, I look at Aaron and I think we had the conversation like, man, we really messed up. We, we should have bought that ourselves. Um, but it was just one of those things, you know, he, he knew folks that wanted something specific. Um, we wrote in there, it didn't look like anything special, but I, t- I said, that I, I think with a little work, this can be exactly what they're looking for. Um, that's a really rewarding piece that, you know, they still stay in touch with ours now. And even, you know, every year, Hey, we're friends with so-and-so and you sold them this property down here on the Creek. Um, we want something just like that. And, you know, so, you know, they speak highly of us. We speak highly of them because it was one of our early success stories. And, you know, we just, we built off of that. Excellent. Hey, uh, 
I, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm running you up against the wire here. Um, so I want to I want to give you a, a shout out. Where are you? How do people get a hold of you? And uh, tell us what you work with. Oh yeah, I'm um, right here in um, in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, uh, our our office is in Kitson, North Carolina. That's where Aaron's based out of. But um, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Um, um, I'm on I'm on it all. It, it, you you can see a, a maturity on, on my Facebook and Instagram from just stacks of pictures and ducks and this and that to now. Man, I've got two little boys that are absolutely eat up with it. Um, so we hunt and fish and, and get outside every chance we get. And uh, you can get up me that way um, on the website, the National Land website. Um, yeah, I'm free to talk hunting and habitat anytime, anywhere. Um, it w- I, some people run into me at dinner and I start talking and my wife rolls her eyes and knows we're going to be there for a while. So um, she, she's a good sport and, and she loves it right along with me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm here to help anybody anytime, anywhere. Awesome, man. Josh, thank you very, very much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you, buddy. This concludes episode number 66 for the National Land Realty podcast, discussing duck hunting properties with National Land Realty agent Josh Pelletier from North Carolina. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.